want to invite you to turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. My name is Gary Myers. I'm the executive pastor of discipleship here at FBNO. And um, Pastor Chad and his family are away this week, uh, having a little vacation time together. So um, we're excited for them to have that opportunity. Now if I can get my technology to work. So God works in some, some funny ways when you, uh, uh, when you think about it. Uh, I asked my Sunday school class to pray for me about speaking. Um, I, was, I was nervous. I, I'm, I'm still nervous, to be honest with you. Uh, um, it's been a long time since I've preached on a Sunday morning. I used to do it quite a bit, but, but it's been a while. And so I've spent 20 years uh, primarily as a writer and an editor. So there's a lot of opportunity to edit, you know, and, and uh, there's no edit today. There's no undo button today. So, so I was a little nervous, so I asked my class to, to pray for me about this. And, and um, I also asked them to pray because I had a big academic paper due on Tuesday. And so one of my friends in the class said, I will just preach your, your paper. So uh, academic paper. So <clears throat> he didn't know what I was writing on, and and um, I really didn't want to bore y'all today. But as I got to thinking about it, um, uh, God used that to to uh, help me come up with an analogy uh, for discipleship. And so uh, so I, I began to read and and uh, get into this passage and. Uh, God just showed me this analogy that's kind of a little bit implied in the, in the text. So, uh, so bear with me on this one, but I hope it will be something that, uh, that uh, means something to you as well as it did to me. So in the ancient world, uh, leaders, kings, rulers, prophets, all had a, an engraved seal that bore their name and, um, and had a message. And so... Uh, these were, I think I have one, yeah, right here. So uh, often they were, you know, about the size of your, your thumbprint, small, but this was an official signature. And so it was a painstaking task to, to create this. Someone skilled had to carve this into this small stone and carve it in reverse. And then they would drill a hole through the, the stone. I think I have another picture here. Um, and they would attach it to a ring or a necklace so that they could carry it with them to sign all their documents. And so they signed documents by pressing into clay. And I have one here. This is Isaiah's seal pressed into clay, the prophet Isaiah. And so they used this to sign documents. And so as we read uh, Deuteronomy 6 today, I want you to Keep that idea in your mind. It's not, an, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's something that, that can help us frame what we're trying to do as disciples who make disciples. We are um, we're to impress on others. We're to pass on what we have learned from God. We're supposed to love God with all our hearts and teach others to do so. And as followers, we're supposed to be engraving his words, impressing his words on our hearts. 
and then making an impression on others. So would you stand with me as we read this text today? Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Lord God, we just pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would teach us how to invest in others, how to love you the way that you've called us to love you. God, I just pray that nothing would uh, hinder us hearing the words that you have today. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the context of this passage is very important. Um, the people had just, people of Israel had just been led out of a bondage in, in Egypt for, for centuries. And um, they were in an in-between time. They'd come out of this time of bondage, and they were in between the land of bondage and the land of promise. And so um, um, Moses gives these words after a, a very monumental failure by the people. They had only been out of the, out of the bondage for just, just a, a short time when they failed. Moses had gone up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and the people were down in the valley worshiping a golden calf that they had made. They even claimed that this calf was the God who, who brought them out of Egypt. And so when Moses came down, he had to deal with this idolatry. But then he turned to teaching about how the people were supposed to live, what God expected of them if they were going to enter the land that he had promised them. He had promised them deliverance and a land flowing with milk and honey, but he expected the people to obey. He expected them to love him exclusively. He expected them to internalize his word and to live as he had commanded. So before we walk through this text, that context is important that we know what the original audience, uh, their situation and, and why Moses was writing this. But as Christians, we are viewing this through the light of the salvation that God has, has given us. And so we need to read it with those eyes as well. So we need to understand that context, but we need to, to realize um, that we, we are on the other side of salvation. And so I, I wanted to, to note a little bit of, of how this passage shares a few similarities with the Great Commission. Um, the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is not quoting here. Jesus quoted um, this passage that we're, we're dealing with today in, in, uh, in, in Matthew, and I think it's in Mark as well. 
But um, he's not quoting it here, but these are similar ideas. Um, Both passages talk about building up followers of Christ, teaching them to observe everything that he had commanded. They're both missional. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is missional toward your family and your community. Jesus expanded that mission in, um, in the Great Commission and, and gave it to the whole world, expanded the mission to include the whole world. So uh, both passages are intentional. They're focused on the as you're going kind of idea of, of talking about Jesus as you go, talking about God as you go. Um, there's an intentionality, intentional living that, that infuses both of these passages. Both of these passages acknowledge the one true God. Matthew um, mentions the three persons of the Trinity. So um, we can embrace this on both sides of, of this as the original context and as this uh, new missional focus that we have in Christ. When we go about discipleship as people who've experienced forgiveness, uh, we understand that we can't love God truly without his help. We need his help to, to even have the power to love him. We just can't do it on our own. So as we take a look at, at Deuteronomy 6, keep that idea in your mind of that seal, the making of the seal, and that seal impression, but also keep in mind that great commission as well. So let's look for a moment at verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is known as the Shema. It gets its name from that first word. Here it's, it's translated as listen, And this became a a statement that the Jews recited twice daily during the time of Jesus. Jesus likely recited this passage uh, twice a day. And so um, the opening statement here gives us the why for everything else that follows. The why is that the, the God of Israel is the only God. The statement is one of the most important ideas that you and I will ever hear. The, the God of Israel is the only God. The original Hebrew can, can be translated several ways based on where you understand where is goes. Some translations can highlight the uniqueness of God. Some can highlight the exclusivity of God, but I think both are intended. Uh, Moses wanted them to know that, that Yahweh wasn't just the best among lesser gods. He was the only God. He was uniquely different than these concepts of God that the people around Israel had. The Baals, the Asherah, the gods of Egypt. Their God was different. He was a true God. He was the only God. And he was the only creator He was to be worshipped uniquely and exclusively as God. And while we affirm the Trinity, we can embrace the statement of the Shema, this opening statement. 
the one and only true God who has revealed himself as Yahweh is the one true God that has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit to us in the New Testament. So Moses frames this whole passage with obedience. Um, traditionally, this has been translated, the first word has been translated here, here Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But I love that the, the Christian Standard Bible has used listen it's a more active uh, way of talking about this. You know, you can hear things and do nothing about it. But uh, they've picked up on this aspect of, of obedience that Moses is trying to put forward here. It's listen implies that you hear and do something about it. It, it requires an action. And so as we read through the rest of this text, remember that that obedience undergirds everything in here. It's not just a subtext of this passage. It's a, a main thrust of what God is trying to teach us through this passage. So the sermon today has four major points that I want you to get down. Um, the first is love God above all. And we see that in, in uh, verse five. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses is describing a love that encompasses all areas of your life, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go through each of these verses, is how he, he gets into every area of our lives when he talks about this. But um, here he's talking about in the heart, he's talking about the intellect. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew culture, uh, they use the heart to talk not so much about emotion like we do, but to talk about your intellect and to... Um, shaping your choices, your decisions. It talks about uh, loving God with all our soul and with all our strength. It's a commitment of our whole self to, to God. And it's easy to fall into the trap of, of looking at the Old Testament and saying, you know, these people were just rule followers. You know, and the, the New Testament is about grace and about relationship and love for God. But that's a wrong idea. Um, the Shema counters these ideas. This is about love. This is about grace. This is about total devotion of oneself to God. This is such an important uh, point that Jesus names this as one of the greatest commandments when he was asked. He said the law and the prophets are summed up in this. In his commentary on Deuteronomy, Eugene Merrill said, to love God as the Shema commands is to place oneself in the orbit of his saving grace. He said this is the heart and core of Old Testament law. And Paul said a lot about the law. And um, one of these uh, passages that he writes about the law is found in, in Galatians 3, verse 24. He said, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. And so he looks at the law as one that was a teacher, or actually the guardian can be translated as disciplinarian, uh, that readies the people, readies God's people for acceptance of Jesus. So we live on the other side of that. And we've experienced the salvation that comes through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
It is only through that forgiveness that we can begin to love God the way that Moses has instructed us to do. We just can't do it on our own. So that first point is love God above all. The second is to learn his ways. This is a major thrust of this passage. It's implied and stated. But in verse 6, we have the, where it's stated. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Moses wanted the people to meditate on the words of God. They were to know his words and commands, to internalize them. Moses repeats much of this same passage in Deuteronomy 11, and he uses a, a few different words in, in that version. He says that we're to imprint God's words on our hearts in Deuteronomy 11. He takes a more active voice in that passage about what we are to do to put God's word in our heart. But learning God's ways is implied throughout the rest of the verse as well, as we'll see. Uh, you can't teach what you don't know. And he's, he's asking us to teach. He's asking us to pass on what we know. So Pastor Chad has been promoting a scripture-fed church. We can't be effective in discipleship if we're not being fed in the scriptures ourselves. We need it for our daily lives. We need it to, to face our day. But we as disciples who want to make disciples, we need it to pass on to others as well. So we're to love God above all. We're to learn his ways. And third, we're to live with his purposes. Moses presents a picture of a life pointed toward God in verses 7 through 9. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hands and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Moses urged purposeful living in these verses. He encourages the people to use every moment of their lives to talk about God's commands. While he may have used a little bit of hyperbole, the point is clear. He wanted this to be, he wanted scripture to be before us at all times. Um, he uses a series of, of active verbs, repeat, talk, bind, write. He wanted us to be intentional in our influence with others. He tells us to repeat God's words to our children, to talk about them in, in the home as we go about our daily life and as we walk along the road, drive along the road in our case. Uh, talk about them when you get up in the morning and when you lie down. Moses is describing a people with lives centered on God's word and people who proclaim him in their speech to others. Uh, Moses instructed them to bind them to their hands and foreheads. And, and um, in Jesus' day, there were people who took leather straps and, and built small boxes and they would put scripture in those boxes and they would tie them to their hands and tie them to their foreheads. 
And uh, he told them to write them on their doorposts and on their city gates. And, and a tradition of, of putting a little box like this one. I picked this up at the airport in Tel Aviv this summer. But, uh, uh, but they would put Scripture in little boxes and put them on the doorposts. Uh, to, to remind them to keep God's word in front of them. Now, commentators are unsure if Moses was really calling them to do, strap them physically to their, to their body or to physically put them in a box beside their, their doorframe. But the point is clear. They weren't to depart from God's word. They were su- supposed, God's word was supposed to be a part of their, their life wherever they went. There's an important point here that we could miss if, uh, if we're not careful. Um, we could just look at doorposts and gates and, and see them the same way. We don't have city gates here in New Orleans, but the city gate was a very important thing in the ancient world. Uh, city gates uh, represented the, the local government, the protection that the, the wall provided. Um, it also served as the marketplace for the city. It served as the courtroom, the city hall, the city hub. Gates were where, where business took place. You'll remember the story of, of Abraham when, when Sarah died. He went to the gate to, to buy a plot of land to bury her. The gates were where marriage contracts were signed. You'll remember that from, from the story of Ruth. Gates were where justice was meted out, where law offenders were taken and and held accountable. So Moses is calling on the people not only to have the words of God in their homes, but in, in their public lives as well. He's calling on them to have God's word first in every aspect of their lives how they conducted business, how they lived in the community, all spheres of their life. So we're to love God above all. We're to learn his ways. We're to live with purpose. And we're to leave an impression. That's the fourth point today. If you love God above all, you learn his ways and you live with purpose, you have a real opportunity to make an impression on others too to influence others for the kingdom. So referring back to verse 7, it says, Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down in your home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Moses said that the people were to repeat the words to their children. Other translations say teach or impress uh, for the word translated repeat here. This is where some people have seen this uh, slight hint of this seal idea that, uh, that uh, could be using a similar term as using a sharp tool to engrave on a surface. It could also mean the sharpening, the act of sharpening. And so those are great analogies of what we are to do as parents. We're supposed to sharpen our kids you know, that they know God's Word. We're supposed to impress on them. We're to help write God's words on their hearts. We're to engrave on them what we've learned. 
Now for, for a bit of application before we go. For everyone here, our, our top priority is to love God the way Moses has, has, has called us to do. It's not easy, it's not natural, and it's a daily, it's a daily walk of learning to love God more each day. Then we're to teach others what we learn from that loving relationship as we learn his words and imprint them in our hearts. And if you're a parent here today, your chief task is to love God. But you are to, you're to be a disciple of your children as well. What does that mean to disciple your children or to teach your children the way Moses is talking about? It's a daunting task. Um, I've been there. So uh, just making sure your kids are fed and, and uh, to school on time, to their extracurricular activities, to church, it is difficult at times to get that, to get that accomplished. And, you know, in the 22 years since I became a parent, uh, the challenges have, have even grown for parents. Uh, life's busier than it was 22 years ago. Um, the cultural challenges that our parents today are facing are, are more challenging than those I faced. So some, some parents may be wondering, how in the world can I do anything more? You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting by. But the thing is, it doesn't have to be something major. It just has to be intentional. Intentional use of your time. First and for foremost, you need to have God's Word in your heart. You know, Pastor Chad has, has challenged us to, to be in God's Word at least four times a week, every day if possible. That's, that's the four days is, is, a, is a bare minimum. But we need to make priority of God's word in our own hearts, in our own, our own lives. We need to read the Bible with our children. We need to pray for our children and with our children. We need to talk about them, talk with them about what we're learning from God's word. They need to see that from parents. Talk about what Jesus means to you and what a difference he makes in your life. We can talk about Jesus when we shuttled them to and from all these different activities. You know, they were walking everywhere. We were driving around. Um, but when, when Jonathan was young, we spent many a time talking about uh, the things of God in the car, running to and, to and fro. And we still have... Uh, good talks about what it means to follow, follow Christ when we're driving around now because it's, it's become a habit. The breakfast table or the dinner table can be a place where you set aside time to worship God together as a family. Read a verse, say a prayer. Some people even sing together. That's, I, I spared my family of that. So. Uh, but uh, but just prioritizing a time of family worship can be a way to do it. 
Reading the Bible right before bed is, a, is another great way to pour into your children. And we have a daily Bible reading plan that's, that's there for you to, to, uh, to tap into. That's just a great way to start. So I grew up as a Southern Baptist, and, and um, I'd never really even heard of a catechism until I was an adult. Um, and, and some in Baptist circles may not know that evangelical churches have used catechisms for, for many years. And when we were serving as uh, collegiate ministers in Pittsburgh, our church asked us to lead the youth in the Westminster Catechism. Um, and so uh, it was a new thing for me, and, and I learned a lot. It was a very rich experience. It's done in a question and answer format, and, and you, you ask the question, and then there's a response. And so this has been fresh on my mind recently because uh, uh, several families in our church have been using uh, the New City Catechism, which is an app that has 52 questions and answers that, uh, that guide, peop- guide your children through uh, learning just the basics about who God is. And, um, and it's very, uh, a very nice uh, app that's uh, easy to use, and I've, I've taken a look at it. So there's some things like that that you can do. There are 52 questions, so you could do one a week. It's a really good way to give your kids a biblical worldview. But it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be a plan, I mean, a, a, a system. It just has to be intentional. And start with God's Word. That's first and foremost. Is get your kids in God's Word and let them see what God's Word means to you. That's the most important thing. So what about those who aren't parents? Are you off the hook? No, you're not. Uh, you know that, uh, you know, we're called to love God, whether we're parents or not. We're called to love God exclusively, and we're called to, to tell others uh, about Him. First and foremost, we need to be praying for these families, um, and we need to come alongside them and invest in, in our children. We can be an influencer uh, for the kingdom. Uh, studies have shown that one of the real indicators of whether people will stick with their faith in college and adulthood is, the in, is that they know people within their church. They know pastors, they know lay leaders, they have someone who's invested in them. So I encourage you to know our kids, to, to invest in them, Obviously, the Great Commission demands that we're to take this gospel that we've received to all the world. And uh, it doesn't stop with just the proclamation of the gospel. The Great Commission asks us to, or demands that we teach all that we have uh, learned from God, to teach them how to observe His commands. And so I would encourage you today Find someone that you can enter into a discipleship relationship. You only have to be one step further along in your faith 
than that person. And we're called to do this. And that's something we're trying to do as a church is to develop a, a, uh, just to get discipleship into our DNA to where we're passing on all that we've learned. So I would encourage you to seek someone who, who you can meet with just informally. It doesn't have to be a big plan. It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be intense. It just needs to be focused on the Bible and intentional. Read the Bible together. Talk about what you're learning. These type of relationships build up the church in a great way. And the one who has taken on the role as the discipler usually learns every bit as much as the one who steps into to seeking discipleship. So I encourage you to consider that today. We're to love God above all. We're to learn his ways. We're to live with purpose. And we're to leave an impression. My prayer for you today is that you leave an impression for the, for the gospel. Leave an impression for the kingdom. So today, as we move to a, a time of response, the altar will be open as Nate plays. Um, if you want to come pray. But I just wanted to share, if you have not had the opportunity to encounter Christ for the first time. It's the most important decision you'll ever consider. Um, Jesus died on our behalf and has made a way that we can enter a right relationship with God. And so if you haven't experienced that, it's impossible to love God the way he's demanded w without Christ. So um, I will be available afterwards if you want to talk about that. And the altar is open for anyone who wants to come and pray.